Hello, and welcome to this week's sermon podcast from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Kenwood. Here we preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Whether you find the message to be uplifting or challenging, comforting or even unsettling, we hope it'll help you grow in faith and your relationship with God. Thank you for listening. To God be the glory. The first reading is from Isaiah chapter 35. Even the wilderness and desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with with spring crocuses. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as Mount Carmel or the plain of Sharon. There the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God. With this news, strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. For your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams will water the wasteland. The parched ground will become a pool, and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. Marsh grass and reeds and rushes will flourish where desert jackals once lived. And a great road will go through that once deserted land. It will be named the Highway of Holiness. Evil-minded people will never travel on it. It will, only, it will be only for those who walk in God's ways. Fools will never walk there. Lions will not lurk along its course, nor any other ferocious beasts. There will be no other dangers. Only the redeemed will walk on it. Those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear, and they will be filled with joy and gladness. Here ends the reading. Our second reading is from James chapter 5. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Here ends the reading. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing, so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told them, Go back to John and tell him what you've heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, Those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. 
As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people with expensive clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, Look, I am sending a messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. This is the gospel of the Lord. Rejoice, y'all. It's Gaudete Sunday. Aren't you excited? I know you have been chomping at the bit all week, desperate to light the pink candle and have a much-needed reprieve from the deep, dark, daily conversations I'm sure every one of you has been having about your sin and your misery during this penitential season of Advent. Some of you said yes. Good work. Maybe the rest of you not so much. So let me tell you some things. So first of all, back in the day, like the early years of Christianity, we did not have a feast of Christmas at all. Like, fourth century is when that happened, which is wild when you think about it. We didn't have a celebration for the birthday of our founder for that long. Fascinating. We were busy doing other things, I guess, like making the Bible and trying not to die as martyrs. Funny story, though. Jesus' life, Jesus' stories, are a lot like Superman's stories, If you look at the stories about Superman, he emerges onto the scene in 1938, basically fully formed as an adult superhero. And it's not until something like seven years later in 100 comics or so that you get the real stories about his infancy and his childhood, all that stuff about being rocketed away from a dying planet and getting his powers from Earth's yellow sun. That's later. The first stories about Jesus are only about his adult ministry, and it's not until 70 or 80 years later that we get the stories about him being a baby. We just weren't interested in that early on. Anyway, eventually we decided to celebrate Christmas, the light of Christ coming into the world at the darkest time of year, and we included a season that's a lot like Lent right before it. Forty days of penitence and repentance as we await Jesus' birth. And in the churches at the time, it was common to see the altar and the priests draped in black, a sign of mourning for our spiritual, excuse me, for our sinful nature. Festive, right? Sometime in the ninth century, Advent was shortened to the four weeks, and purple or dark blue were introduced for Advent and Lent, not as a royal color, as we assume, but as a mitigation of the black. That is, the seasons were still meant for us to mourn our sins, but there was a recognition that there was a little bit of joy there as well, so the black was lightened up a little bit feeling celebratory yet? Then, at some undetermined date, we started having one special Sunday during Lent and one during Advent to lighten the mood yet again. So instead of black hangings, we have purple or blue, and then that one Sunday, we mitigate the purple to rose, which is a sign that we are beloved by God and there is cause for celebration, even in the midst of sadness and death. It's not a pink candle for Mary, as maybe a lot of people think it is, uh, but rose for Gaudete, 
which is the first word of the Latin prayer meaning rejoice. So rejoice! It's Gaudete Sunday! <laughs> I'm even, I've even got pink on my shoes, if anybody can see it. Now, I didn't bring this up just because it's neat and because I love an educational sermon. Those are true. This Sunday in particular and Jesus' incarnation in general are about bringing life and joy, and I want to talk about joy. Henry Nouwen says the difference between happiness and joy is that while happiness is dependent on external information, joy is the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved and that nothing, sickness, failure, emotional distress, oppression, war, even death, can take that love away. It's similar to Paul's letter to the Romans that we read at Doug Yauch's funeral on Friday, where he says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Dang, that's good. This is joy. There is possibility in the midst of hard things. That there is an immutable connection within us to the divine. Sometimes we forget it, so we assume it doesn't exist or we cover it up, but we are already part of the divine life. Every one of us was created with the divine breath in our lungs and God saying, indeed, it is very good. Joy doesn't fix what's broken. Joy doesn't erase the pain. It's not a zero-sum game. Joy exists side by side with pain. It's already here, and it's still coming. Because we live much of our lives in the wilderness, wandering, thirsty and afraid. We hurt ourselves and others. We call that sin. Our sins give us a temporary sense of control or happiness, but it fades. And of course, in turn, we are hurt by other people in their attempts to control or be happy. Now and Isaiah and Paul and Jesus himself tell us there is another way. Imagine a world where we don't have to only see death and destruction. Maybe the idea of Advent as penitential feels heavy-handed and ridiculous to you. Maybe you need the joyful songs and the smell of cookies and the twinkling lights, and maybe you feel like your whole world is full of negativity, and you come here on Sunday to be uplifted. Fair enough. But maybe also you struggle with people telling you that things will get better or that your grief isn't necessary. Maybe you look at your social media feed or the news and you ache with despair because this is where we are. Maybe you feel helpless in the face of addiction or under the weight of our inherited racism. The darkness is real. So black hangings don't seem that strange. With this Sunday in particular, and Jesus' incarnation in general, they're about possibility. What looks inevitable isn't. I don't know if you're watching the TV show The Good Place. Two thumbs up, recommended. If you're not, I recommend it. Um, Without spoiling anything, in a recent episode, the character Michael said... What matters isn't if people are good or bad. What matters is if they're trying to be better today than they were yesterday. You ask me where my hope comes from, that's your answer. 
I know this is a dumb sitcom on NBC. <laughs> I know smarter people than I have spilled buckets of ink over the centuries to talk about morality and hope and transformation, but this one line brings me hope, it brings me joy. It's part of something I've been noodling for a while that I'm calling a theology of mending. It reminds me of the nugget of belovedness that is the center of my being, the center of your being, the center of all of humanity. We are all able to be better tomorrow. Even if we fail, even when we fail, what looks inevitable isn't. One of our beloved students at the Edge House graduated this weekend, and we do, it also often happens here when folks leave, though for us it's at least once a year, we do a Godspeed service when they graduate. So a couple of weeks ago we did this with her, and she shared a love letter that she'd written to the community. Matthew and I were so moved by it that we got her permission to share it, so you'll probably see more of it in the coming weeks. But there's this one part I want to share. She speaks about the overwhelming anxiety that she's experienced through her life and this dawning sense that her anxiety has been based in not knowing what to trust, not knowing who to trust. So to herself, about the Edge House, she wrote, You belong here. You can trust this. Isaiah writes, Here is your God. What we need is here, within you, within this community and the community of humanity. The joy that you need and you already have within you is also already here. It exists despite the pressing dark. The monks at the Tese community in France say, history will end differently than what the current situation seems to suggest. Thank God, right? The reading from Isaiah is written for a people returning from exile whose lives have been turned upside down, who have found themselves to be empty and lost and fearful and almost dead. They are literally being liberated from captivity. Isaiah says that your fear will become safety, your emptiness filled, lost into found, death into life. The desert blooms around us, the deserted places filled with life. Sometimes we get a hint of that, or sometimes it hits us like a Mack truck. This is a foretaste, excuse me, a foretaste of the kingdom. Wherever people are oppressed or struggling, whoever they are, God desires freedom and life. This is the desert blooming. God redeeming and ransoming us. Political words, interestingly, in context— on that highway in the desert of Isaiah, God redeems, ransoms, sets free, mends, restores, draws near. God rejoices to see us, all of us. Imagine a desert, dry as dry can be, hot, so hot your skin prickles and your throat gets dry thinking about it. Cacti, tumbleweeds maybe, no water to speak of, snakes, scorpions, scary people who take your clothes and your money and what little water you have and abandon you. Imagine that you are blind in this place, or 
that you have a broken leg or you're nauseous or you have the flu, something that makes it that much harder to figure out what to do. No roads, no paths to lead you out, only barren, hot, dry, fearful land. It is so hard and you are so weak. Imagine. And now imagine a trickle of cool water bumping against your toes that soon becomes an actual stream. Suddenly you can drink. And while you're drinking, you feel just the slightest bit cooler. And when you look up, there's a tree you hadn't seen before, casting a merciful shadow. Imagine you can see again, or that your pain is gone, that your cough and your fever are suddenly absent You are feverish, but not with illness, with the surprised delight of someone who was sick and who is just now feeling well. Your eyes wide, disbelieving that things could be so good. Imagine the sudden absence of everything that threatens you. You are loved. Imagine that barren desert covered only in sand and scrub has burst into flowers. Imagine. This is the kingdom. It is coming. And it's already here. You are welcome here. You can trust this. Rejoice. Thanks again for listening to this week's message from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Kenwood. Please browse our website for other opportunities to grow in faith or serve the Lord. If you are able to worship with us at any time, we would be most honored by your presence.